Welcome everyone to the Down Under Centre Migrating to Australia podcast. My name's Wes Zant. I'm the founder of the Down Under Centre and I'm joined by Lisa Chambers. Lisa, welcome to our first podcast. Hi, Wes. So guys, Lisa's a big part of the Down Under Centre and also a big part of the podcast because I've never done a podcast. I've hardly heard podcasts as well, Lisa. So hope everyone can bear bear with us with that. But look, the idea of the podcast is I want to focus on the emotional side of migration, but also allow our clients, new clients, people that are interested in migrating to Australia, hear from clients that are, you know, our clients that are now in Australia, living, been living here for a while, working here, uh, being housed, their jobs, how their day-to-day runs, the schooling, etc. Even clients that are at the start of the process, what they're feeling, the anxious, what they're, you know, with, with the skills assessment, is it the English test? Maybe for the clients as well that are about to lodge, Lisa, and they're going through that, you know, about to have the cost of uh, processing the visas with immigration and everything like that as well. We also going to be interviewing immigration bodies. We're going to chat to a large range of employers as well. We're going to um, listen to our team and hear their stories. Uh, I'll run through how the visa process works, explain the points calculator, discuss how the employment department works, the relocation department, how the skills assessment works for trade and non-trade, the relocation calls with our relocation team, our home search service, how to find a job, listen to service providers, for example, PSS uh, removals, from getting a quote from them to your container arriving in Australia how to upskill, how to take your current qualification and work out if that's going to be relevant uh, in Australia and what has to be done so you can be recognised in your in, in, in your occupation. For example, the gap training, the gap training, uh, you know, for our licensed trades, there, there's got to be education around that and what and what they need to expect. Uh, focus on the young ones too, Lisa. We've got the the Joey Club there, so really, you know, hear hear from the younger ones. Uh, talk about our webinars and seminars and how our relocation hub works as well. I guess, you know, our motto um, as a business out to the public is we're the one-stop centre for all your migration needs. So if you are looking ahead to Australia, there's a good chance we can help you with uh, the visas from skills assessments to employment and, and all the areas in between, Lisa, that, um, that are needed um, for this migration process. So now we're going to move on to some sort of Q&A. One of the biggest questions really that I see come up that I've noticed that a few people ask is they want to know your story, Wes. They want to know... Um, like why the Down Under Centre was set up? I guess a bit of background is I'm a um, I'm from Melbourne originally when I was about, geez, 23, 24. Uh, so quite a while ago for me, unfortunately there, Lisa. I, um, I grew some horrible dreadlocks and decided Melbourne wasn't for me and ended up uh, taking a job at Ayers Rock Resort uh, where I was the plumber for the resort. Now, coming from Melbourne where we get, you do get a winter, uh, and I actually left around sort of August, sort of September time. And I remember arriving uh, in Ayers Rock uh, where the weather was pretty good, to be fair. It wasn't too hot then. But I, I, when I was there for six months, it actually got quite hot. Now, for a ginger, it, it was probably a bit too much for me, to be honest. But, look, I decided to uh, to head out to Ayers Rock and get away from Melbourne. Believe it or not, it was a traffic in Melbourne and running my own plumbing business that was driving me crazy. I just thought I wanted to go off and travel. Uh, well, I was in Ayers Rock, I met some amazing people, like some just just some really good friends, and it was such a great place to work. Um, just just through everything that 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 resort had, we had we even had our own res club, so it was really it was a really nice way to meet people. And and there was actually lots of uh, it was probably the first time, Lisa, I actually met lots of people that were traveling doing their harvest work or their regional work. So I got to sort of get a bit of a feel for that, but. Look, ended up in uh, Ayers Rock, was probably there for, I don't know, around four or five months uh, and then actually hitchhiked down from Ayers Rock to, we went. I went down through South Australia, uh, down through the middle, like through Cooper Pedy, ended up in uh, Eucla, um, stayed there for a little bit and then got a ride from uh, Eucla down to Esperance. So went on the Nullarbor plane uh, down there. Uh, when I arrived in Esperance, uh, I, I sort of knew that Esperance was a great, you know, was a good place. But I remember when I got there and just seeing the beaches and all that there and coming from Vic, you, you know, the, like the beaches in Victoria are great. But Esperance is where you'll see lots of photos of kangaroos on the beach with the really white sand. So I was really drawn to that. Uh, and I knew it had some good surf as well. So anyway, I ended up jumping out at a, and, and arriving in a hostel. And when I got there, 
the the guy who ran the hostel, I remember his name, Stu, he was sort of, he, he saw me with my swag and inside my swag was a hammock. So for people that don't know, a, a swag is, a, it's think of it like a sleeping bag rolled up, but you, you sort of camp in it a bit like a tent, but you just roll it out and you sort of sleep on the ground. So sometimes rather than sleeping on the ground, if I had a couple of trees, Lisa, and you put your hammock up and you could be off the ground, um, which, when you know, when you're, Obviously, Australia's got some creepy callies hanging around. So for me, I just I, I just preferred that. So look, Stu copped wind and he sort of was pretty clear that you can only stay for, you know, a couple of nights. This, you know, this is a backpacker's hostel and and, and, and I was uh, fine with that. Got, chat, got chatting to him when I was checking in and I mentioned that I was actually a plumber and I was looking for a bit of work. Uh, left, you know, left the counter and everything and I spoke to an English girl who, who hired a car and she asked me, I'd like to you know, go for a drive and check out Cape Le Grand National Park, which is you can drive on the beach in in, in WA. And so we did that. Um, probably gone for a, you know for a few hours, and we climbed. I remember we climbed Frenchman's Peak, which is a little a little little mountain you climb, and it's got beautiful views. Anyway, we dropped back off, and when I got there, I saw a a, a big plumbing truck, an old school Ford plumbing truck. It had rust all over it, and I just as soon as I saw it, I sort of for where it was parked in the in the parking of the hostel, I knew it was a bit different. Anyway, I, I rock up and I meet an absolute gentleman called Pete, and um, Pete ran a plumbing business in Esperance, and he he was friends with Stu, the guy who runs the hostel. So long story short, I ended up taking a job with him, uh, doing uh, you know being a plumber. Uh, when I got there, I needed the cash, and it was just before Christmas. So he actually said if I was to stick around, he'd let me have that glorious truck, which I ended up driving for for, for quite a while, actually. And, I, and and to be honest, Lisa, I was in the hostel for around about 12 months, maybe a bit more. Uh, during that time, I got to experience everything that Esperance had to offer. And, you know, I went to Perth a few times, Kalgoorlie, and and, and, and did a bit of traveling. And I actually met a, um, I met, I met a French girl and we um, we partnered up. And um, towards the end, I actually ended up living in the hostel so I ended up having to, to on a Friday night, check check um, people in for the hostel and on a Saturday night make all the beds and all that and fit all the sheets like hospital style and tuck them all in. It's a lot harder than what it sounds. But, but it was a really good experience and I got to, they had lots of uh, Planet Perth, Western Exposure, lots of tour companies that would come in. They'll drive from Perth through to Margaret River to Albany, come to Esperance and then from Esperance go inland past Wave Rock and then end up back in Perth and I don't know, I really enjoyed and got to meet with lots of uh, uh, people, I guess people migrating. Anyway, from there, I remember we drove up to Broome. Uh, we we saved our money, uh, me and my partner at the time, and then we bought a car, decked it out, uh, went up to Broome. And then actually uh, from Broome, we we, we flew from, um, from WA, went down to WA, and I actually flew to France for, for about a few weeks and met my partner at the time's uh, family. Did all of that, and then we actually drove from Broome, stopped past my place in Melbourne. And, and, and when I say drove past, we didn't go direct. It obviously takes a you know a good few weeks, a month, couple of months. Went to Melbourne, said good day to mum and dad and me brothers, and then um, probably stayed a night or two. Just 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 kept on moving, uh, and then we ended up going down through from from Melbourne all the way up to northern New South Wales along the coast, and and that probably took a good few months. And and our goal at the time, Lisa, was to work as much as we could and we were able to save by not paying any rent at the hostel and and, and working as a plumber and my partner was uh, working as well we sort of saved our money which meant we didn't have to uh, we didn't have to do work so I reckon it was around about six months and we ended up sort of in northern New South Wales and the goal was probably to sort of settle more in uh, Ballina, Byron Bay but we, we just found it was really busy for us and it, what used to be when I went to Byron Bay in the past it was a, a lot busier so we ended up um, going past a place called Yamba, and one of the reasons that attracted us to Yamba was the fishing's amazing and the surf's amazing, amazing. But it's a tiny little town, so we ended up pulling in at the caravan park and and staying there. And we had a car that was like uh, that, that was a motorhome, but we also pitched a tent when we were there for a while. I reckon we pitched that tent for about six months in Yamba, uh, and we actually started working in the caravan park uh, as cleaners, to be honest, and. She was French and I was Aussie, so Frozzy Maintenance Services came about and we cleaned cabins. It's what we did and it meant that we could 
go for a surf in the morning, do things during the day, like clean the cabins and then have the afternoons free. And again, got to meet lots of, uh, I guess, older Australians who were, you know, retiring. And, and then I got to do a bit, a little bit of plumbing work, ended up um, taking on my trade while I was in Northern New South Wales and becoming a plumber. While I was in uh, in the town, I got, you know, we got really busy and a decision was made. I think we were there in total for, again, for a bit over a year uh, in total. We spent a lot of time in Esperance and a lot of time in Yamba. And while we we're in Yamba, uh, I got close with one of the other guys that I travelled with and then one of the guys who run the, uh, the actual plumbing supplies there in Yamba. And my partner at the time, she decided she wanted to go back to France and finish her university. So... During the time we were together, we actually, I sponsored her and she took on a partner visa. So she was a spouse of mine and, and, and was on the partner visa. So we knew we had that sorted. So the idea was for her to head over to France. Um, I wanted to actually travel the whole of Australia, Lisa. At that time, that was really important to me. So I had to go from northern New South Wales all the way up to Broome to, so I could feel that I sort of got to travel Australia. And, you know, you'd probably never get those chances again to to, to travel how we were travelling. So one of the guys I met and the guy who was working at the plumbing suppliers, we decided to take off for two months from northern New South Wales um, all the way to Broome, you know, stopping past the Great Barrier Reef. You know, we were in Darwin for a while and it, it was incredible. It was so much fun. We met so many um, so many great people, but wow, what a country. It, it's it's amazing. Coming from Melbourne, I saw things that I would I've never even dream of. It, it, it was incredible. I could, I could, you know, a, a whole other podcast is going to have to be talking about what you can do in Australia. But I ended up um, flying to France. Um, had to sell my uh, part of our travels was we had the had a what was a nine a sixty series Land Cruiser, and we had a little tinny at the back, a little a little boat, and that sort of became a trailer. And we got to uh, we got to Broome. We had to sell the boat and the tinny really cheap, and then the other guys ended up flying back back to Yamba where they were you know where they were staying etc. Uh, and I went to France, uh, arrived in France, I was in the south of France, I was probably there for, I don't know, four to six months, um, quite a while, and I really, really tried to learn French, uh, just couldn't, just couldn't do it for whatever reason, it couldn't, um, it just didn't work, and I probably at that point, I sort of, after travelling for, you know, for over three and a half years, I probably wanted to settle down a little bit more, maybe focus on the plumbing you know, I look for something to do. So we made the decision to to head to London and, and I was going to look for a house and my partner at the time is going to come and, you know, come down and meet us and she's going to study um, outside of, you know, outside of France. So we get to London, uh, that 2008, I did mention earlier, Lisa, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit old now, but anyway, back in 2008, uh, it was when the global crash happened uh, and working as a plumber in London back then was, it was really different from sort of, Working for myself in Australia, um, plumbing around in small little towns, finding work, and 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 being like like as as a plumber, you, you're always needed, and 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 you earn really good money. So being able to work hard and then save some money to go off and travel to then get into to London and finding myself in the opposite um, situation where I had to work really hard just to just to have a place to live. And and when I say a place to live, it's like a shared house with. At that time, I think it was about six other couples in a big shared house, you know, all sharing bathrooms and all that sort of stuff. So it was really strange. And um, anyway, I ended up plumbing there for a while. Uh, hurt my back, actually, um, quite bad. And I was paying for physio and Cairo. And I, I probably was probably the, at a time in my life where I was probably the least happy, I guess, uh, with with where I was. I was living in a place that was really busy, probably wasn't for me, but I bet I wanted to, you know, pursue it, etc. Anyway, found a job. Um, uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a job. It was being, well, it was a job, but not a full-time job. So while I was plumbing, I took a job being a subject matter expert for an assessing body, um, which was VetAssess at the time. So I got to assess um, plumbers and, and, and these plumbers were doing the skills assessments. And part of that, I think, when when I was travelling, I was, you know, Facebook wasn't around, social media wasn't around. You you, you made um, lots of friends, but you lost contact with them. And and when you're assessing these these plumbers, younger guys, older guys, and you could see that how excited they were, I was I was really really drawn to that. I, I it sort of gave me, you know, sort of brought me back to my memories, um, of, you know, of of, of, of the time travelling and the people that I met. And I really like guiding them about, you know, places to surf, fish and, and, and where I found work. And, and I've 
I felt they bought into me and listened to what I had to say as well. And I actually stayed quite close with, you know, with people that I assessed afterwards. Uh, had you know, had lots of calls. Actually, met with a family um, in a pub and sort of was was, was running through it. Um, part of a part of a job I had in London at one point was uh, was to helping people from Australia get to uh, well when they arrived in London find work and 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 through that I got invited to have a talk at a at an expo down for Down Under Live which uh, John Weir runs down there and uh, John sort of put me in the hot seat and started asking me questions during this expo I've never done an expo in my life and I, again I, I just really enjoyed it I got to talk about plumbing I got to talk about Australia and you know little things um you know the superannuation you know the pension that we get when you're working people couldn't believe it you know the money that we that that plumbers and other trades were earning that's all I could really talk about at that time Lisa so I I just had a um just an amazing experience and I really I felt that this could be something that in helping people that sense of fulfillment when you when you can help people I like that was probably my first side of feeling that. And that was a real buzz for me at that time. Cause again, plumbing was tough in the UK at that time. And, you know, with my body, the way it was. So I ended up um, meeting, well, uh, well, that's sort of how I sort of got to London and everything like that. And I, I remember I, uh, I met um, a lady called Marion, who's, who's a current director of the Downer Centre as well. And when I met her, um, I was telling her about like it's you know I've really enjoyed going to the expos, and I, I wish there was a place in the UK that uh, there was like a walk-in centre for people that are interested in migrating to Australia and New Zealand at the time. We actually did a lot of stuff with New Zealand when we first started um, with Immigration New Zealand. But look, so the idea, Lisa, was to was to set up in, in my mind was to work out a way that we could do this. And by chance that Marion uh, had a lease, which was the old Ealing Broadway tube station. So it was an old tube station next to next to Ealing Broadway. So it had a great footfall. And, and when she showed it to me, it was it was quite run down. I remember walking up the stairs and seeing the the you know the ceiling tiles were quite stained and the, and, the, and the carpet. No one was using it at the moment. But as soon as I saw it, I, I, I had this little gut feeling that imagine if we could turn this venue into a walk-in centre where people could find out how they're going to migrate to Australia. Uh, and again, at the time, uh, New Zealand. So uh, Marion asked me to create a business plan. I didn't even really, you know, know what a business plan was. So I sort of put some stuff together and and I guess it was more of like how we're going to fund it. So I spoke to people that were attending expos and everything and sort of said, look, well, you know, if you, we all put in some money, we can create a walk-in centre. And um, Marion at the time sort of said she wanted to do the venue up a little bit. So I guess my timing uh, worked quite well with what Marion's plans were. So we sort of built this beautiful um, bu- uh, building. And, and if you go onto um, the Down in the Centre's website, you'll see photos and everything on there. Um, and, and it's a really good venue that we had. We had its own seminar room. We actually leased it out as well, Lisa. We had like, uh, you know, organisations like PSS Removals, the Working Holiday Club, uh, pathway to Oz. We had Australian Nursing Agency. We even had a magazine, Australian magazine company in there at one point. We used it for room hire as well. Uh, and it sort of, it, it was a place where people could come in and find out what they wanted to know about Australia. Uh, and we used to work with all different uh, migration agents at the time. And one of the things that I guess was a big step forward with us as a, as, as a business and how the Down Under Centre really you know, took place, I'm talking about the physical building at the moment, was we actually um, hosted the electrical practical assessments. And and, 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 that, and that was really good for us. And we, we then got a contract working directly with a TRA approved assessing body where we were part of the um, the processing of skills assessments. And this is what we still do now. And we've, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, at one point, I guess we were sort of the business sort of grew. We sort of started running our own sort of seminars as well. As I mentioned, we had a seminar room. We'd invite employers. Employers were coming down. It was a real buzz. And we actually made a decision rather than working with lots of migration uh, agents that are in the UK, and we still work with lots of them as well, uh, we actually decided to bring on um, our own migration team to the business and I think that's when the DUC really took on because instead of, you know, just processing skills assessments and being a place where people could find information, we actually had a really reputable migration agents and consultants working for the Down Under Centre. And it led 
to uh, you know the, what we are, which is a one-stop center for all your migration needs, because that's exactly what it was. People could come in um, and have a chat about their visa options, and we had the you know the right people, the respected people in the industry, giving the information about it. So it really good. I think it, it probably shocked the industry a little when we did become a migration business. But then, look, we you know we we carried on doing seminars. Um, we then started doing webinars, which we've done for over ten years. The first Tuesday of every month, uh, we started running our own uh, our own venues. Uh, venues now, before the pandemic. Lisa, we actually had a really good event we run in Manchester. And I remember they were trying to tell us um, what food they were going to provide. And I was like, look, can we just have sausages and bread? And the, and the people that had the function, they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, just sell them cheap, sausage and bread with a bit of sauce on it. It's what we have in Oz. Um, anyway, it worked out a treat. Everyone came. They all had sausages and bread and were walking around looking at each other, I guess feeling a little bit, you know, feeling a little bit Australian. We had lots of uh, competitions. We spoke about Australia. And again, what you'll hear in these podcasts is myself and, and other people talking about the emotional side of migration. And we covered that. Unfortunately, the pandemic hit. And that sort of threw the um, migration world around. Um, because as you know, Lisa, uh, Australia stopped for for two years, you know, nearly two years with migration. It was really challenging for everybody. Uh, and that and, and, and that did put a bit of a strain on the business. Yeah, it did. The world just stopped for about two years, didn't it? Um, so I arrived in Adelaide in 2019 in September. And I remember um, being here for, what, five months or so before the pandemic hit, being in a brand new country, trying to get used to living in a new country, um, and then not be able to even leave or 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 even move between the country even as well. Um, just a crazy, crazy time was, yeah. It is. It's um, mad because you are. It is. It was a lockdown, wasn't it? You just got here, you know, welcome, Lisa, you know, welcome, yeah. family, and, and lockdown. We hope you like it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very challenging. And, and that time, everyone was challenged, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was incredible that period were, of time. Yeah. Yeah, in one way, shape or form, it affected absolutely everyone for a number of years. Um, and people are still struggling, aren't they, Wes, with the whole migration journey, even now? Yeah, correct. Look, unfortunately, there's still clients that we have and we know of other clients that, you know, lodged around the pandemic stage, which haven't been picked up. And, and you know, clients that lodged after them um, have been picked up. It's it's definitely not fair what's happened. You know, I guess our part of the process is to you know, lodge the visas and everything, and then it's in immigration's hands. But yeah, definitely, it definitely shook up. The um, the the pandemic was 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 a horrible thing for uh, you know the migration industry. And so, how did the Down Under Centre sort of cope with it as well? Um, I guess look, it was. It, 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 it was. It was really challenging. Like you said, I mean, you you were lucky. You sort of just got down before sort of the lockdown and everything happened. And Australia, um, I, I remember the day that Australia closed, we had a client, Nathan. He was, he was one of about two or three that called me on that day. And I remember I had a Facebook call um, just, you know, from Nathan and, 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 and his partner. And, and, and they were shattered because they're at the airport. They've done absolutely everything right, Lisa. They got the, you know, sold their house, got rid of their cars, left their jobs, had their furniture and all the, you know, everything else shipped or ready to go out there. They followed what was the norm back then to, you know, on, on, on and I guess what we sort of would advise, no one knew a pandemic was going to happen. But the poor guys um, were met with um, Australia is now closed. That's it. We're not taking anyone there. And it wasn't just them. There was a couple of other people that were all flying out that day that were all hit. And I guess my first thought was, wow, what, what, what happens? And, and like everyone else, you, you, you're glued to the TV, aren't you? You're waiting for the PM or whoever's going to come out and tell us what's going to happen, what to expect. And I guess at that point we had a few staff on and I guess my goal to them was, you know, look, we want to keep you on. That's our goal. And, and we were really blessed. We actually kept all of our staff on um, during the pandemic, which was great. And we, I guess... When you've got a team that works so well together and, you know, I guess our motto at the Down Under Centre is we work for the client and we work for each other. So as a leader, you know, the last thing we could do is sort of say to someone, you know, you're not, you know, we can't keep you on. So anyway, look, we, you know, we kept everybody on and we were able to process skills assessments. So lots of people still wanted skills assessments, but I guess financially it was tough because as a business, we only charge clients when they're up to certain stages. So if the states aren't opening and visas aren't getting, you know, 
lodged, et cetera, then, yeah, financially it was tough. But, look, we got through it. Um, it was fine. I remember to keep morale up, uh, Lisa, for our clients, we actually run a few trivia nights, which were really fun. And I, I know there'll be people listening here. We run quite a few of them and, and that, that, that were part of the trivia nights. And, and the idea was to keep the morale up for, for, for clients because, yeah, we're going to get through this pandemic. That's for sure. We are going to get through it. But at the same time, it was good for the migrants to be part of these trivia nights. So so what the trivia night, I guess, consisted of is we elected captains. So so through the DUC Club, which is our private Facebook group for our clients, um, which which was set up for exactly that reason, to, to so our clients could give each other moral support. We can give them the answers with visas, skills assessments, but, you know, English test tips, where's good places to live. So you've got a mixture of people that are in Australia, people that have just done a skills assessment, maybe they've just done a practical assessment and they can, you know, they're kind enough to to guide someone through, you know, that experience, what they found. Then, and anyway, it, it created a really good group and, 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 and a family of migrants. So from that DUC club, we actually asked if people would want to be captains and, you know, of each state. So each state and territory had their own captain who's a migrant uh, and they had their own zoom meeting made up and, and and we would create a list of questions you know maybe it was uh you know like how to you know, draw a map of australia and put all these places in and see you got the closest to also lots of other um you know like dress ups who was best dressed who had the who had the aussie um, accent now lots of people had a few drinks um and it was quite interesting watching you know what started at seven and one of them actually finished at two in the morning and it was just a general chit chat but look teams won and um i think wa was quite you know, it's always been a destination place for for many of our uh, clients from the uk for example but they won they celebrated and we all ended up on uh, on one zoom at the end and it was just such a nice way to keep the morale up for our clients um when 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 not much else could be done but but the pandemic was, um, yeah, it was actually um, really difficult. And look, one of the things that that we did, Lisa, through that, um, my, you know, at, at, at that time I had um, two sons and I've got a um, and a wife and, and an English wife and I always plan to work in Australia and, you know, work on the DUC in Australia, but I've always wanted to raise my children in Australia. For me, that's always been important and, and when I met Tara, my partner, you know, I made it clear at the start that that's what I, you know, I would always go back to Australia and do that. And and she was on board with it. We actually didn't plan on going to Australia when we did, which was actually during the pandemic, Lisa. We actually left. And, 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 and you know, you asked, like, ha- like, how was it? It was so tough. Like, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Like clients are wanting information and answers. My team are wanting information and answers. My wife's wanting information and answers. Everyone's wanting information and answers. And 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 I couldn't give it. Like like no one could give um, information then. So we actually decided that it might be better for you know for the business and, and and better for ourselves where we were living in London at the time, and everything was to was probably to move a bit earlier. And then we committed to it. And once we committed to it, it actually became quite daunting because. We were traveling in a pandemic. That's what we had to do. But I couldn't just sit on my hands and and just and 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 I wanted to be able to provide answers to people. I wanted to be able to call immigration, ask the questions. I wanted to when we were doing our webinars and and you know and put things on the DUC club and, and give people updates and everything and and find employers because we found out that there was a few, you know, some employer sponsored visas would be able to get granted because Australia still needed people. It's not they didn't need people. The problem was the government made a decision to say that we weren't opening the borders because COVID was, you know, was around and nobody knew what the effects of COVID was going to be. And and there was probably lots of horror stories out there, true or not true, but it put fear in absolutely everybody. So, yeah, Lisa, we ended up um, coming into Australia uh, while the pandemic was on um, and, and, and to work on the Australian side of the business and help. Yeah, so... What was that like coming into Australia during a pandemic? Because I think um, they made people stay in hotels for quite a while, yeah. didn't they, back then, yeah? Yeah, they did. It was really strange. So we committed to our flight and then we got an email saying that we were actually going to um, arrive in South Australia. That's where they wanted us to quarantine in. And, geez, that's weird. You know, you sort of 
you, you like so, so. Well, so firstly, you jump on the plane, you know, from London, and if you can, you know, you can imagine a fully—I don't know much about planes. This isn't a plane podcast, I guess. Um, but the whole we're we're in the back section of the of, of the plane. We were the only people in that section. We had the whole section to ourselves. By memory, I think there were sixteen travelers on that whole flight, and we were. And my family at the time was a family of four, so we were we were like a quarter of them people traveling on that whole plane. So we had the whole plane to ourselves. It was really weird. You, you know, usually you're trying to find an extra seat and you can lie down and, you know, we were able to do that. Even my wife was able to lie down and and, and the the hostesses and all that from the plane. Um, I remember waking up, Lisa, when the kids have got chocolate all over them and everything like that. They've had a great time. They're getting fully looked after uh, by the, you know, by the, by the flight team and everything like that. So the flight itself was really good. But then we, when we got there in South Australia, we actually um, were greeted by the army. Um, and we arrived in a in a, in a hotel in uh, South Australia. And remember, we were planning on going to Victoria. So, and you got to pay for your own quarantine as well. Like this isn't a free thing. You know, we chose to travel. They don't tell you what it's going to be. You get a bill at the end of it. Um, anyway, so got into the um, yeah, got there, spoke to the army. You got escorted into a building, and you're told that if you um, if you exit this door. For whatever reason, if you exit this door, you will be um, charged and you cannot enter. And it was a bit annoying because at the time when I arrived in Australia, I actually had a sidmosis on the ankle and um, my back was was pretty bad. I was wearing a brace um, on my back. I was in bits. I think the stress of the pandemic and, and everything that um, myself and my wife went through at that point, um, we had a miscarriage at, 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 um, at that time and we were very stressed and it, it, it was really tough. For, for, for everybody and then being told that you're in a going to be in a hotel room for the next 14 days uh is is tough and, and and we were lucky i guess because our hotel room was quite big but they gave us two next to each other it's like they made like a fake door and then they attached two rooms together um now we lived in a tiny little flat in london um and you know, our, you know we had a shower and then this this um this this hotel, Lisa, had a spa bath and everything, bubbles, all sorts of stuff. So we were like living our best lives in there. And for me, I actually found it quite relaxing. I got to, you know, you could order food in. Like that's how you would do it. They Every day they put you on a Facebook page and they'll tell you what you're going to get fed. Um, and when you're there for, for 14 days, you're kind of like getting fed sort of some of the food, uh, the meals repeat themselves and when I mean repeat guys I mean actually repeat like on a Monday you might have a burger and then on the Wednesday you get the same burger option so they allowed you to order food in which was um yeah which was really which which was nice you could order some alcohol in you think you're allowed six beers a day and a and a bottle of wine um a day so you know they made sure you were safe and everything and I actually made an error when we booked it all because it all got changed and everything after we committed to, to to going um, and I actually turned uh, 40 in quarantine and, and got out the next day. And um, the the people who worked in the hotel, they said they, they actually sang happy birthday outside the door. They were so nice the way they did it. They sang happy birthday to me outside the door. Then I had to wait a minute before I opened the door to then get the cake um, and bring the cake in for the kids. That's how strict they were. Every, um, you know, the first couple of days you had the COVID test where they put the thing up your nose and all that sort of stuff. And that's, you know, pretty tough on kids when they're only four and five or whatever they were at the time. Um, yeah, and then, and, then, and then eventually you just, you get out. And we then flew from uh, South Australia. We flew to, to, to Melbourne Airport and we arranged an Airbnb where we thought we were, you know, where we we're going to settle, which is where we are settling in, on the Mornington Peninsula we live about an hour and a half away from the airport, so get down there, uh, arrive. But um, we're out of quarantine, but Melbourne's still in lockdown at that time. So we couldn't even speak to our family. Like we would speak to our family on the phone and everything, but we didn't really have phones. The only way we could get phones is by contacting, you know, by ordering stuff online, SIM cards, phones, and getting all the Aussie stuff and everything. So even that was like kind of challenging in one way. You haven't seen your mum for, for so long and your brothers and your friends and, and you're stuck in lockdown for an extra month. Um, but I guess what it did was it sort of brought the family really close and I it it, it, it was hard having the businesses on both, you know, on both sides, like the UK and sort of setting up the Australian side and working on this plan that we had. But 
yeah, I think like lots of people that travelled during the quarantine. I mean, I'm just I'm a very I'm, I'm one of lots and lots of people that you know did it lots tougher than us. But it was really interesting um, how that whole process worked. So your wife and kids, they've never been to Australia before. Uh, yeah, the kids have. We've taken the kids a couple of times. It's, it's obviously quite a long flight. Um, my wife, uh, when she was younger, uh, she uh, spent a bit of time in Australia and New Zealand, just you know, just on a holiday and just travelling. And I think when she was at uni, so she sort of got to experience. So she she knew, and 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 she also did it. So I guess um, one of the things that that happened, I guess, for you know, part of the Down Under Centre's establishment, and, and when when we were taking, um, you know, became a migration business doing the visa sort of side, but unfortunately I lost my father at that time. Um, so when I, you know, he passed from a cancer and I, I spent a bit of time in Australia um, and then come back to the UK to deal with it. And that's when I met um, Tara at the time. So I was really adamant about sort of, I was really committed to the down in the centre. To me, I thought it was a, you know, how I, I was so passionate and still am so passionate about what this business can achieve and 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 is achieving, I didn't want to throw that away. But I also had a responsibility to my to my family, and all you migrants will get that. We'll talk about it in the emotional side. You know, me coming um, from Australia to the UK, my family and friends and all that. You know, it, it, it's hard leaving them. You know, there's not a dry eye when you know when you when you when you're going for that long drive to the airport um, to say goodbye, knowing when you, you know you're not going to see the family. So. When I met Tara, it was really clear that I was going to end up back in Australia, and I was really committed to the business, uh, and 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 had a plan made. So I think um, Lisa, that arriving, doing what we had with the per, you know, with the, um, uh, uh, with an issue, I guess unfortunately, you know, for Tara with the miscarriage of myself, um, and then having to, it was it was like a fresh start after a pandemic, but an, an enjoyable start, and and watching the kids flourish and and ourselves as a couple. Uh, flourish and you know like where we live and how we and, and how our lifestyle is at the moment compared to a little place in the UK uh, you know a little flat in the UK where we we found it tough like with the kids what to do you know and now it's just bike rides going for swims it's just awesome like it really is so yeah the kids had a bit of an experience but not really uh, not really sure if you ask my young if you ask my middle child Jackson where he'd like to be um, Nana Lynn and Nana Duck spoil him um, so he sometimes likes the UK and, um, but, but for Jet, it's, yeah, you know, he doesn't, he just loves Australia. Um, so having like business that spans Australia and the UK, how would you find that? Is it difficult? Um, <clears throat> look, I actually thought it'd be a lot more challenging. I'm, I'm so lucky. We, I, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely lucky. I'm so grateful. We have an amazing team within the Down Under Centre. They're just I guess the UK side sort of run itself. Um, if you probably ask some of the team, they were probably pushing me out, you know, get out, we know what we're doing, don't stress, you know, you know, finish off the plan of the, of the Downer Centre and get to Australia, you know, do what you need to do. Yeah, so I, I was really lucky. So we've always been able to retain staff, which is which is something I've got I've got I've got staff members that have been with me been with us since we started. It's it's incredible that they're still with us, and and we are like a family. We are so. Um, yeah, we are close. So yeah, it's a tough question, that one, because I think setting up the Australian side for what we do over here with the work that you've done, which we'll talk about in a minute with the relocation services, um, you know, uh, the employment division that we've got set up, Lee's, you know, Lee does a wonderful job with that. Uh, you know, we would work with over 120 plus employers at the moment. You know, we do lots of um, sponsor visas and being able to, I think at the moment, Finding a property to to, to 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 live in and a job before you get here is really, really important. When we arrived in the pandemic, you know, we just stayed in an Airbnb and Airbnbs were easy to get then because everyone was in lockdown. Like like we had a choice. We, we got an Airbnb for cheap. They basically gave it to us at quarter price or half price because we um, we had options and they knew we had options. But now it's a little bit different. So I've been able to... Be part of growing the Australian side with a you know with a good team. There's about there's quite a few of us here now on, on the Oz side, as well as feeling um, I, I guess not relieved but but feeling satisfied 
that the UK team with our procedures and our structures and, and the people in the business is what makes a business, right? So we've got really strong characters, people that care for, you know, for our clients and, 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 and more importantly, our team care for each other too. You know, running a migration business, being part of a migration business during a pandemic has its challenges. Like imagine, imagine for our team getting calls from people who are just asking questions, what's happening? What's going to happen? Is it, am I better off not going? What do I do? And, and not having the answers, it, it took its toll on them. And they just, yeah, they got, I don't know, I think like they got stronger. And then um, when the borders opened and everything like that, and the morale within the, within the clients and the group got up, it's, it's, it's a nice place to be a part of, you know, with, with within the down under center. So I'll probably say, Lisa, no, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it, 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 it's not, it is challenging, I guess, like time-wise, we, you know, with the hours and everything. But look, we've got a really good team in the UK that run it and, and yourself and other included in Australia that just, that just make it fun. But also, um, you know, if we follow our motto, we work for the migrant and we work for each other. Well, not much really goes wrong, does it? But look, I'd like to hear, um, you know, to hear your story. So, so you know, you're a family of four and um, you mentioned you got here in 2019. So, you know, whose idea was it to migrate? Um, so, yeah, so you're right. We got here in 2019 and we currently live in Adelaide. And really, I'd say that we were thinking about moving to Australia for about 10 years um, back and forth. We were quite young back then. Um, we hadn't ever been to Australia. We just knew people who had been to Australia and we just liked the idea of it um and we got to the point of where we could go and then the recession hit in 2008 the house went into negative equity and I think Chris had to go on like a pay cut or something like that so that that impacted us financially um we just got married that year as well actually um so that put those plans on hold um so we had our first son Bradley the year later um, and then Jamie two years after. So we got busy with having kids and stuff, um, just shelved the idea, just lived our lives and brought the kids up and things. Um, but it, it was always in the back of our minds. And particularly as our kids got older, it became more and more difficult to just enjoy our time with them, be able to take them out um, for most of the year. We just couldn't do that. And, and our garden was just muddy and they couldn't even go out and play in the garden. And it was just a bit of a nightmare, really. Um so we came to a kind of crossroads in our life as our kids got a little bit older, I guess. So Jamie just started primary school and Bradley was two years into primary school and Chris had a good job. Um, he was doing a really good job um, and I got back into work. I'd started up my own business and things. And then we got into a crossroads where we got to the position where we could potentially sell our house and move to another house. And we just kind of were umming and ahhing about it and we didn't really do anything about it, which told us that we didn't really want to do anything about it. So we just decided one day that we were just going to go for it and follow our dreams and go to Australia instead. So uh, Chris initiated the process. He works in software, so he's on the skill shortage in Australia. So it was quite a simple process, really, um, just the sort of the English test which he excelled at because he's geeky like that and he loves to pass everything with flying colours. Um, and uh, then obviously had to get the um, the skills assessment, which he passed as well because they needed his skills. And the process for us, we, we were extremely lucky. It was just so quick, so simple. From the point of where we lodged our visa, I think we lodged it around Christmas and we got granted our visas at the beginning of March 2019 um then uh we waited for about six or seven months before we actually physically moved to australia because we because we had to sell our house and there were like various other things that we had to tie up before we went and you mentioned that journey to the airport where's that journey sticks in my mind like I, it's it's just cemented where we sold our house and the plan was that we were going to move out of our house and then go straight into the um, the taxi that was going to take us to Heathrow to go to go to Australia. So we actually had no furniture at all in our house on the morning that we left. We were just sat on the floor. Um, I remember I took the kids for like a walk around the block. We walked to Tesco's, got some food and stuff, and then ate it on the floor. Just a really, really surreal moment of locking the door 
and getting in a taxi and going. And I've got a picture of my boys and my husband sat in this taxi on their journey to Australia and my kids' faces. I can tell that they're nervous. They don't really understand what's happening too much. What visa did you arrive on? It was the 189, right? The permanent residency visa? Yeah, 189. And we we can apply to be citizens next month, actually, because we've been here for four years. So that's good. It's yeah. good. And I think back then, something we, you know, we've got to touch base on too. You mentioned, so you signed up with the Down Under Centre, you know, he smashed his English test, he smashed his skills assessment. Um, and, and and from there, the process was, it was so much easier before the pandemic. And it's so frustrating. Like before the pandemic, we actually had, it, it literally was like clockwork. You know, people would go on the DUC club and, and post when they got their visa granted, you know, when they put in their skills assessment, et cetera. And people would go, you know, oh, I, I did it a week later. Sure enough, they get their visa granted the week later. That's how it was. Like Jenny from our team, she used to be able to say to people, I'll, I'll ex-, well, she used to say to me, I'd expect we'd probably get about seven or eight grants this week. And yeah. it was incredible. And now it's so frustrating because people aren't getting it. Like they're, like they're waiting, you know, the state should be open by now, but they're not. Um, it's, it, 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 it's really changed a lot. And Australia is saying they want all these people and we need them. But then you've got a house um, shortage. So, yeah, it's, it's 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 definitely a different time. And I really feel for, you know, for clients going through the process at the moment and especially clients that have gone through the process over the last couple of years. And I'm, I'm really hoping immigration make it a lot easier because these clients are paying fees to immigration for a service, which is to grant a visa and pro, well, not to grant a visa, to process a visa. And then they get, you know, a success or unsuccessful grant. But, you know, they're going to be successful if they're using us. At the end of the day, it's, it's a service that they're paying for and it's just taken a little bit longer. Um, so, yeah, you were really lucky. And, and and when you arrived, did you always, because, again, you were just before the pandemic, did you always want to be in South Australia? Adelaide was the first place that we wanted to move to. Um, so, obviously, before we moved over, we did our research and um, we're trying to figure out between Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane. Um so we discounted Perth, nothing against Perth, it's a really lovely place and I know people are really happy there, it just wasn't for us, we just felt like we didn't want to be so far away from everywhere else. Um, and our plan really was to come over to Adelaide, try that first because we liked the idea of the daylight savings, the lack of humidity and we quite liked the idea of the seasons as well. Um, my eldest doesn't really cope so much in the hot weather too much so we thought that potentially going to move to Queensland where, it's, where it is hotter and it is more humid you might struggle with more so we start off in Adelaide and our plan really was to try Adelaide out for a year and then potentially go and try Brisbane out for a year and then figure out where to live because at that moment in time we both were working for our UK companies and we both had the ability to work from wherever we wanted to work um so and our kids were sort of young enough and we just thought well it didn't really matter if we did chop and change a bit um but we couldn't do that because the pandemic hit and it closed all the borders so that forced us to really not move very much in fact we planned when we came to Australia we had loads of grand ambitions of traveling around the place seeing lots of places working wherever we could work and seeing everywhere that we could possibly see and that didn't happen either um but we have been to Queensland I think four times we've been to Brisbane to the Gold Coast and to Cairns um Cairns is definitely the place that I want to move to when the kids are old enough for me to be able to do that um it's just my ideal place to live I just love it there I love the hot weather I love the scenery I love just it's just gorgeous um so that's my overall plan now is probably in the next 10 years for Chris and I to probably move that way eventually um, and let the kids do what they want to do, really. Um, yeah. And do you miss anything about the UK? Um, not so much now. So obviously um, homesickness hits people at different points in time. I would say that some people have the delayed homesickness. Some people, it hits them straight away. For me, I probably struggled the first year or two where I did miss everything. I was like comparing everything to the UK, comparing the cost, the weather, the food, everything to the UK. It just didn't matter. Um, But then over time, you settle and 
your brain just doesn't seem to think in that way anymore. Like it is just what it is. And that's just how it is. Um, it's the new life. It's just the new life. Exactly. So the only, the only real thing I miss is probably being able to go to like the Marks and Spencer's food court, get some nice ready meals. Um, ready meals don't seem to be such a big thing here. I don't really know why. Although since I have lived here, I've noticed they've got a little bit more in the supermarkets. Um, and I also miss the meal deals that you used to be able to get in Boots or Tesco's, where you used to get your sandwich and your crisps, sorry, chips, chips, and um, your, your drink for three pounds or something like that. It's probably like 10, 10 pounds now, I expect. You think it's it's amazing. Out of all the things you can miss, you miss a Tesco sandwich and a and a and an orange juice, eh? I remember them yeah. once. Yeah, um, they were great. The, they were great. The kids. Um, so you mentioned the oldest isn't a big fan of the, you know, the humidity and everything like that. I mean, um, how are they getting on? How are they finding Australia? Was, was their transition okay? Yeah, their transition was absolutely fine. They were great kids. Um, because when we moved over, so Bradley now is 13 and Jamie is 11. Um, so Bradley is in his second year of high school. He's in year eight. Um, and Jamie is about to go into high school next year as well, although he doesn't feel old enough to go to high school, um, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so basically, when we moved over, they were four years younger. And I think that that was a pretty good age because they weren't quite old enough to form those deep relationships. Um, they missed their family. They did miss some friends. We had to leave our cat behind when we came here. We had a cat called Homer that we'd had for about 13 years um he was just a bit old and we didn't think it was fair and plus he was quite a long-haired cat so maybe he might not have coped so much in the heat as well um so they missed those kinds of things but actually they 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 just settled really really well um and their lives now are just so much better they enjoy school they've got friends they play after school they've got friends that live next door and stuff um, they go and walk the woman across the road's dog. They really want a dog, and I won't let them have a dog, so they go and walk her dog instead. I'm really happy uh, you said dog there, Lisa. I was thinking you were about to say they just walk the woman across the road. That's 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 not what Aussies do for the, you know, it's not what we yeah, do for yeah, our neighbours for a and, walk. And they're all really friendly around where we live, so they invite us over for breakfast when we first moved here about two years ago. And the lady that they walk the dog for just gives us some chocolates once every couple of weeks they seem to come home with a box of chocolate so that's it's pretty cool very interesting lisa you mentioned that i know with um uh, when we had our garden in the uk uh jet the uh, you know he's into his sport and all that and you'd kick the ball and you know the neighbors get cross because the ball's hitting fences and everything like that and and where we are now one of our neighbors is really you know we'll, we'll keep the footy on the road and everything it's not it's not like a london road where there's heaps of traffic obviously tell anyone coming down there but but our neighbors um we kick the ball over there and then i'm like you know chat just go we'll, you know we'll buy them some chocolates just to say hey sorry we do it and and they're absolutely fine like you don't have to do that you know like we're all kids once and and that's what it's like it's so it's so different isn't it the way that the kids engage i guess with adults you sort of you probably feel a little bit safer around strangers as well obviously you teach your kids stranger dangers no matter where you are but there's definitely a, um, a, an understanding of like like in your neighbourhood, it's a it is a little bit like Ramsey Street from neighbours, uh, I guess in in certain ways. And then you will, and obviously it's not you know it's not for everyone. But where we are, it sounds like where you are, um, if you are sort of near that sort of beachy sort of side, and it is a relaxed town and environment, the kids are just going to um, thrive, aren't they? Because because they're just learning new things and they're just enjoying it. Yeah. That's right, exactly, yeah. yeah. So your role within the DUC, so um, just talk us through a bit about what you do and all that. Yeah, so obviously being a previous migrant myself, I help to set up and I run the relocation department and the relocation hub. And what we do is we help people that are moving over to, to Australia with their relocation and to settle. So um, we generally help people who are maybe at the sort of visa lodgement or visa grant stage and now they're thinking about what they want to do when they move over to Australia um, they might need help finding somewhere to live um, they might need a relocation call with one of our agents so all of our agents are previous migrants um, 
And when people have a call with them, they're speaking to someone who lives sort of where they're moving to. So they get a good conversation and they can ask all those sorts of questions that they have because you kind of take it for granted when you've been here for a couple of years that you're used to things but I find that when I have the relocation calls with people they can join it sometimes and I can just see the kind of the stress in their eyes and they've got all these questions all these what ifs and all these kind of just concerns and a lot of times the biggest concern is about their kids and finding a job and finding somewhere to live I find it just after that call of an hour, you're able to just watch them just relax just that much more um, and just give them the sort of tools to go away with so that they can make better decisions. So they're less rushed and they can make more informed decisions about what they want to do as well. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of what what we do. And the relocation hub is a really great resource. So that's been created again by migrants for migrants. Um, it's full of everything that you, that you could possibly need, photos, videos, checklists, um, places to see, um, meetups about the Joey Club. We have a colouring competition that just sort of goes every couple of weeks. Um, it's got uh, all the links that you need to be able to find the services that you need help with. So you can find all your partner services on there. So, for example, if you need health insurance or removals, for example, it's all on there and it's all there to help you as well it's 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 an amazing website i think the you know the things i wish i knew before i left and and you know how to um how kids can settle in australia so even the useful links and um checklists and everything so we definitely will make sure we put a link to the um relocation hub uh, on it but it's really good where i chose to live and why you know housing and accommodation you know how to look for houses you know kids education you can actually see school guides and and, and each state and territory is different it's really important to know uh, listeners that each state and territory is um it's so different from the gap training you know if you're a plumber there's you know to an electrician to to weather lisa touched on it before you know she'd love to head to, head to cans where it's nice and warm and really humid in the summer but she can't her oldest doesn't like it you know for me, I, I, you know, I would love to live in WA, but I've got family um, here, you know, in Vic. So that's where I, you know, like where I want to be. But on the website, it will go through comparisons. Like, you know, our, we're so lucky, Lisa, that our clients put the time in, the ones that have arrived and everything will put the time in and um, and put on, you know, what they're spending on power, gas, you know, everything, you know, like, like, like their bills, what their rent is, et cetera. You know, if you're looking to upskill or, you know, gain an Australian qualification, there's bits on there. And obviously jobs. Jobs is a huge thing. So there's jobs. We've got jobs in every state and territory uh, for that. And, and lots of people will say, you know, like, I want a job or, you know, like, give me information on a sponsored visa. And we can give basic information on a sponsored visa. But until you find an employer, guys, um, it's, you know, it's really up to the employer to see what, what visa they're happy to sponsor you on. So, We've got a little job section on there and, you you know, you apply directly to the employer and, and, and we'll process the visa. Um, you know, I guess we've even got the business hub on there where, where our migrants, if they're moving to a, a certain state, can can put in, you know, what they are, um, if they're hairdressing, if they're a plumber, example. And then if you're in that state and you want to support someone that's migrated through their journey as well, you can do it. And and meetups, Lisa, I mean, I mean, you just recently had a meetup um in South Australia at the, and you watched a Port Adelaide game, the last game of the year, um, and you were able to get uh, 50 tickets for, you know, for young kids and, and families that want to see Australia's own sport, the AFL. And, I mean, that must have been a great experience for the um, for previous clients and yourself as well. Yeah, it was such a great meet-up. And the kids, the kids just really, really loved it. We all got to go on the pitch afterwards as well and kick the footballs around and stuff um just seeing their sort of faces when they got out onto the oval to find their seats as well their eyes were just like lit up it was really cool it's such it's such, look it's such a good sport guys if you uh, you know like like the reason why we reached out to the footy clubs and everything is we want the kids to if you, if you think the parents have to we deal with so much stress we always say oh geez life was easy when we were a kid when you're a kid life's not easy life's hard you've got challenges but you, you know, you're just getting used to them, and and and, and understanding and, and knowing what's what's to be involved, and that's why I like the kids club that we set up, and you know the Joey club and everything as well, which which I guess is a chance of you know for kids to ask other kids questions and all that as well, because um, it's interesting to see what what they how they feel and and how they think about it, because 
as we've as we've spoken about it, I mean, look, we probably spoke a bit about the pandemic a, a lot, and and I guess gave it a bit of a rundown in this in our first episode of why the Down Under Centre was built and, and and how it came about. So as a business, and as we roll out these podcasts, what we're trying to do, guys, is create a migration community. If you choose to use the Down Under Centre, fantastic. If you if you're going to do it yourself, not a problem. If you've used another agent, that's also fine. Creating a community of like minded people that are prepared to help each other get to Australia and really support each other through that. So if you've got, um, you know, if you if you've got Instagram uh, groups or Facebook groups or or you know you're looking for followers and all that, you know, the Relocation Hub, you can put all your information on there because I guarantee you. Every part of migration is absolutely difficult, all right? Finding out, like, none of it's fun. You know, you've been through it, Lisa. Like, finding out if you're eligible. Sometimes people aren't eligible for a visa, so they have to go off and retrain. They go off and change their life. So I'll speak to some clients, Lisa, and their journey started 10 years ago. It's literally got them 10 years because they've had to retrain. They've had to um, get themselves visa ready. Now, in that time, immigration don't give warnings. They can sometimes change the process. Then you got then then once you've got that then you've got the English test that's a challenge for lots of people you know it's not it's not learning how to read write and speak and uh, listen to English it's 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 understanding how to pass it then you've got the skills assessments you know for trades you know photos videos references if you worked for yourself it's, it it can be quite um, overwhelming then you put in for the visa and you've got the costs associated with it and then at the end you think oh you know I can sort of start seeing I've got the skills assessment done the English test done I know the visa's coming. But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, how do I say goodbye to these people that I've known my whole life? Like my wife, she's only been here, well, you know, she spent 40 years in the UK. It's madness. Her family, friends, everything she's got is over there. That's what it is. And, um, you know, people are going to go through that. So that preparation um, and, and preparing yourself for the biggest move of your life, for most people, that's what it is, uh, is going to be really important. And if you can get it right and we can offer a few tips, Lisa, then I think this podcast will work quite well. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think so, Was Yeah. So, guys, look, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, you know, it is our first podcast. It's something that we want to uh, get better at for sure and, and, and we're going to run them. And, and during the episodes, there'll be lots to learn. So, yeah, tune into episode two and, and, and keep the dream alive for Oz. And for those in Oz, keep enjoying it. Bye, guys. Catch you later. Thank you.